This week we're going to look at one of the ways in which we should do that, and that is cultivating a relationship with God in His Word. So let's begin with the word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study this morning. Our Father, we're thankful for this season of the year when we can reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ, and we're thankful that um, He did not simply come to the earth just to be an example. He came to give His life as a ransom for us so that He could take upon Himself Your wrath so that we could be free from it. And we pray that our lives and our thoughts and our actions, the way that we um, interact with other people, would be a reflection of the grace that we've received from You, of the love that we have for You, of the devotion that we are are giving our lives toward. And we pray that, that even in this class that we would focus our attention on the topic at hand, that we would understand Your Word more clearly, that the Spirit would help us to apply it to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are working through cultivating a relationship with God. And the reason that we can cultivate a relationship with God is because we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who is Jesus Christ, and he is our mediator. In fact, the verse that we've Repeated, the first two classes is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. And that's the kind of, of verse that, that we need in order to, to have this proper relationship with God. In order for us to rightly be related to God, we have to have someone come and stand in our place, to stand between us and God, to, to really be a, uh, an umpire, so to speak. So we're going to talk about cultivating a relationship with God and His Word, and there are two primary ways in which we're going to look at that today. The first there you see at the bottom of your sheet is hearing God's Word, and then on the back of your sheet, well, I'm sorry, I, I missed one. Hearing God's Word, and then should be... Um, reading God's Word. I, I didn't put that as a main heading, but um, we'll get to that when we, when we uh, get to that section. But, but it's, it's amazing to me uh, how often um, our understanding of God's Word is based on something other than God's Word. A lot of times we base our understanding of who God is and, and how we should relate to Him based on something other than God's Word itself. For example, um, we, can, we can learn about things about God that may not necessarily be right from what we read. We can learn it from the news. We can learn it from the media, from even television. We can learn things about God. And, um, and so we come away with some of these kind of strange ideas. And so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get our focus back onto the original source, not onto what other people have to say necessarily not onto what, what the whole world is, is accepting and all this, because obviously that's dangerous. In fact, um, I saw on a T-shirt once it said, I found Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's the type of T-shirt you want to wear around and tell everybody, hey, I found Jesus. But that's not in the Scriptures at all. You will not find anywhere that someone finds Jesus Christ. 
I mean, people who make up t-shirts like that for, forget verses like Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 that said, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none, there's none, no one who seeks after God. There's not one person who found Jesus. God is the one who is, who is uh, finding us. And so we... Uh, welcome. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. So, so that's one of the places that we can get our understanding of God. Another one, common phrase that we hear even in our Christian circles, which we've got to be careful about, is God will accept you as you are. Okay, God will accept you as you are. Now, I understand what they're trying to say there, that God is no respecter of persons. All who come to Him will be received by Him. But... What about when Jesus said that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him? What, what do you think the rich young ruler would say to that type of, that type of uh, statement? Remember the rich young ruler? He, he came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus says to him, Well, have you obeyed all the commandments? He says, Yes, I've done that since, my, since I was born. Okay, well, you've done that. Well, how about you go sell all of your possession and give them to the poor and then come and follow me? Now, that to me doesn't sound like Christ is accepting him as he is. There has to be a willingness to follow, to give up ourselves completely. Obviously, that's a work of God that he has to do on our behalf. But, but my point is, is that we look in so many other places and we do it subconsciously without even thinking and and our whole understanding or a lot of our understanding about God is determined by things around us. Instead, we need to point ourselves back to the best source for truth, the best source for understanding about God and about ourselves and about how we should re- relate to him and that is God's word. Okay, so there's two ways we can do that, through hearing God's word and through reading God's word. Um now, let's talk about the need for God's word. We know that we need to be in God's Word because the, the Scriptures tell us. Turn to John chapter 17. This is, this is Jesus Christ praying before He was going to be led away to be crucified. John chapter 17. He's praying for His disciples and even for us, I believe. In John chapter 17, in verse 17. And this is one of the most foundational verses that we can learn. Uh, in fact, when I was in kindergarten, I was in Awana, and I learned three words of this verse. It's the last three words of this verse. It says, Thy word is truth. Um, I guess that would be four. <laughs> Still learning. All right, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, Jesus prays for what? Okay, He prays that... that he prays that we will be sanctified in the truth. So he's praying for our sanctification in the truth. He's praying that we will be made righteous. So in what way are we being sanctified? Or what are we being sanctified through? Sanctify them in what? The truth. Okay, but he doesn't stop there. Okay, we could get our truth from all sorts of other places, but where does he finish? He tells us exactly where we can get that truth. Where is it? Your word. Okay, which is which is basically the entirety of the scriptures that we now have. 
the entire Bible that you hold in front of you is the word that Jesus was referring to. Okay, I think we can say um, we can say that that is the case. So, if we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be made into the image of God, Christ says, God, you need to change them into the, to to my image, but do it through your truth, and your truth comes from your word. Okay, pretty foundational, but it's it's important. Now let's turn to Psalm chapter one nineteen. So the way in which we are sanctified, that we are changed into the image of Christ, is through the Word. Because the Word is truth. Psalm chapter 119, there, verse 57. And we'll read this section. Verse 57 says, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I consider my ways, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not got, I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Hey, this is a psalm of praise and a prayer to God from a man who, who thought very highly of God's word. In fact, if you know anything about this chapter, you know that the repeated word or idea in this chapter is what? The word, right. He says it several different ways. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, he talks about giving him understanding according to the law. Okay, that's another idea of the word. Uh, statutes, precepts, commandments. You see this over and over. In fact, I think there are only one or two verses in the entire chapter with, what, 176 verses? Yeah, 176 verses, and there are only a couple that do not have the, act, the word, word or statutes or something that refers to that idea. So the psalmist here is highly exalting the Word of God, recognizing that it is the source for all of, of life. And so we're going to learn five things about the Word from this section. First of all, God's Word is the basis for grace. God's Word is the basis for grace. Verse 58 says, I sought your favor or your grace with all my heart. Be gracious. There's that word grace. Be gracious to me according to your Word. So what is the basis for which God gives us grace? It's His Word. It's, it's the fact that He has written down His promises, that He has verbalized them, and they've been put, in down, put down in written form, and now they become the basis of grace for us. Now, I hope you have seen that in your life. I hope you have received some measure of grace from the Word of God. If you're a believer, certainly you have. And so the, the basis for our grace is the Word of God. Now, secondly, God's Word humbles us. God's Word humbles us. Verse 59. I considered my ways, I thought about them, and I turned my feet to your testimonies. What You'll see this in, in other parts of this chapter and throughout the Bible, that when we, when we see ourselves in light of Scripture, what happens is it, it humbles us. It, it shows us 
our lost condition, our, our desperate condition, and then it shows us that we need to turn to Him. So, first of all, it's the basis for grace, and then it humbles us. Thirdly, um, God's Word is more powerful than any enemy. Verse 61, the cords, of wicked have, the cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. God's Word is referred to in Hebrews as a sword. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's referred to as a sword as well. God's Word is more powerful than anything because God's Word is eternal. All right, number four, God's Word leads us to praise Him. God's Word leads us to praise Him. Verse 62 says, At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you. Why? Because of your righteous ordinances, or because of your Word, we could say. At midnight I will rise to give praise to you. It is kind of a circular thing here. We go to God because He is worthy, so we go to God's Word, and as a result of reflecting on them, we find out more about God and as a result, we, we begin to overflow with praise to Him. It's just a natural result. It's not something that we have to force ourselves to do, hopefully. Now, there are times when, when certainly we, we don't feel like praising God, and we sh- still should do it anyway. But for the most part, praise, worship, the idea of giving thanks to God should be an overflow of our feeling about God because we recognize who He is and what He's done. And then the Word of God, or God's Word, leads us to fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with other believers. Now, obviously, we're not talking about the church here in, in the book of Psalms, but um, in verse 63, it says, I am a companion of all those who fear you, talking about other believers, other people who also uh, fear God, and of those who keep your precepts, those who keep your law. So the Word of God leads us into fellowship with Christ. Any questions so far on the need for God's Word? Certainly, the Word of God should be central in our lives. Any questions? All right. Now, let's start talking about the the Bible itself. The Bible is a book about God. Okay, I hope uh, we we should recognize that. It's a book about God, and it's a message of the salvation that He brought to us. Now, one of the things that the Bible does is it, it reminds us that we are not a part of this world. We are strangers. We are foreigners to this world. Our, our home is somewhere else. Our, in fact, when we are laying down treasures, they should be laid up where? In heaven, where, wrath, where, wrath, where moth and rust do not corrupt. And uh, so we have two examples of meeting with God and... I want to point you to those. We won't turn there, but Acts chapter 17 is the first one, and that's the Bereans. Okay, remember the Bereans? They're listening to Paul's teaching, and Paul, I mean, certainly must have been the greatest teacher in that day. And I mean, it's the Apostle Paul. How could they question anything he had to say? But what do we find that they're doing in Acts chapter 17, verse 11? It says, "These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica." They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is what the Bereans were doing. You see, they didn't take things at face value. Now, I think the, the, um, the point here is that we cannot rely upon someone else to, to give us the word of God at the exclusion of 
of going to it ourselves and making sure that, that what is being said is true. Okay, it, it's the equivalent of trying, if we're trying to get to know God that way through someone else, okay, even through me, okay, as your pastor, that's not the primary way in which we should understand the scripture. That is certainly a way and it is a necessary way. But it would be like you trying to get to know your son through his best friend. Find out all the things that your son likes through his best friend. Hey, what what time does he like to go to bed? What kind of shows does he like to watch? Where does he, you know, what what time of athletic events does he like to? What what type of girls does he like? You don't find out about your son through his best friend or through anyone else. You spend time with your son. You take time to to talk to him, to spend time with him, to find out what types of things he likes and doesn't like. The same thing is true should be true about our relationship with God. We don't find out about God through someone else primarily. Okay, that is certainly important. But what the Bereans are doing is they're they're accepting the word with eagerness. They're they're desiring it with great they have a great desire for it. But then they go and check the word itself. God, is this what you really said? I'm going to check it. Because the ultimate source for truth is not in a single person. Otherwise we would have a legitimate reason to have a pope, right? The, 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 we don't have someone that, that can speak on behalf of God unless they're speaking from the Scriptures. Okay? All right, so the Brians, first of all. Secondly, Jesus Christ, is, I think, is a good example of, of taking time to go and hear uh, God's Word, to go and, and spend time with Him. In fact, there are several instances. I list them there for you in Matthew 14, Mark 1, and Luke 5 where um, Jesus gets away from the busyness of his life and takes time to spend it quietly with God. Get alone, away from everybody else, all the crowds that were demanding his attention, and uh, he, he goes and spends time with God. Now, if Jesus Christ saw the necessity of meeting with God, of cultivating a relationship with God, how much more do we need it? Right? How much more do we need it? So, there are five primary ways um, that we can get into the Word. Five ways. We, we could call this Bible intake. We're going to talk about the first two, and I mentioned those before. That is hearing the Word and reading the Word. Do you need one of these? Um, hearing the Word and reading the Word. And then there's also three others, and that is meditating, studying, and memorizing. We'll talk about those three next week. But today we're going to talk about hearing and reading. The first one that I want to go over quickly, because this is not the, the, the main focus of our study, I want, to, I want to talk about it quickly, and that is hearing the Word of God. Okay, you see that at the bottom of your, seat, the bottom of your sheet? Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Okay, this is before Psalms, so you're, you're going to go towards the front of your Bible. Before Job, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll, we'll look at an Old Testament basis for hearing the word, the necessity of, of getting in a public place and hearing the word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. 
It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. And then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood uh, Mattathiah, Shema, Aneah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right hand, and so on. So the point is here that, that Ezra got up and spoke the word of God. Now, you see the importance of this even more in their day, but I don't want to minimize it for our day. Obviously, they didn't have a written word uh, of their own. That is, each individual did not have the word of God that they could take back to their, their tents or whatever and be able to, to read from it. If they wanted to hear what God had to say, who did they go to? They went to the priest. Or they went to, the, to you know, someone like Ezra, Ezra who, who was a priest, and they, and they listened to the word of God being taught to them or being read to them. It was just a simple reading of the Word of God. But that does not go away once the Scriptures are more available in the New Testament because let's turn to 1 Timothy 4 because I want to show this to you. 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. And Paul's talking to Timothy here in verse 13, and he says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Okay, so, so we still have this principle in the New Testament. And, and although the, the, the copies of Scripture are more readily available than they ever have been before, I still think there is value in coming together in a, among a group of believers and listening to the Word of God being read, sometimes without comment. And I think that's one of the great joys of, of our church services is being able to hear the Word of God being read without comment. Because what we're doing there is we're saying, God, we exalt Your Word above everything. And so we're going to just spend some time to just listen to, listen to You, to hear You speak to us. So, you have two blanks there. Hearing God's Word is not merely a passive activity. It's not merely passive. We don't just sit back and prop our feet up and get comfortable. It's an active activity. It's something that we have to engage our minds into. Otherwise, we will walk away with, with uh, very little from it. So, it's, a, it's an active activity. And we must discipline ourselves to hear God's Word. It's not simply an academic exercise. It's going to hear the very Word of God being preached. All right, so, so now what I want you to, to see is I want to show you that reading the Word of God, there are three primary motivations that we should have. First of all, historical motivation. historical motivation. Now, I hope you recognize that 
most of the people in the world currently do not own a copy of the scriptures. Now, we could say, we need to be honest, that not all of them want to, but not everyone in the, in the, in the world owns a copy of the scriptures. We have over 6 billion people in the world, and I think in China, there are, there's over a billion just in China alone. And I think there are only about 40 million, 50 million copies of the scriptures. That there are 50 million people that have a copy of the scriptures that even want one. So not everybody owns a copy of the scriptures. So we are special in that way that we have a copy of the word of God. Secondly, to have your own copy of the scriptures is only a recent phenomenon. It is very recent. In fact, if you think of the eight to 10,000 years of history that we have in our world, okay, from the time of Adam, Adam all the way up to us, only the last 500 years has a, has a person had the privilege of owning their own, own copy of the Scriptures. And uh, so I think that's a great motivation. Now I want to turn to a biographical motivation. That is, we're going to look at um, two characters primarily, and that is Luther and Calvin or Luther and um, Tyndale. And uh, I'll start with Tyndale because Tyndale was an incredible character. He, he was a guy who wanted to get the Bible into the English language. And he would do it at, at any cost. And when he decided to translate the Bible into English, he, he received much opposition. And his opponents would say, said to him, in fact, listen, we'd be better off without God's law than without the popes. His, his point was, listen, we have the pope. We don't need everybody to have their own scriptures. Just come to the pope. You can find out what God says. That was what, but this is w- William Tyndale's response. He said, I defy the pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than the pope himself. He spoke a lot more than he knew, didn't he? I mean, people who have a copy of the Scriptures tend to know more than the Pope himself because the Pope is really looking more towards, uh, towards uh, previous laws and previous, what previous Popes have said. They don't care about finding out exactly what God says. That's only a part of, of what they teach. So William Tyndale uh, was the first. And, and what we find is that William Tyndale... At the end of his life, um, he took a stand for God. In fact, he told the king, I think it was King Henry VIII, that getting a divorce was not biblical. It was not biblical for him to, to leave his wife because of his infidelity. And so he made that stand. And after a while, King Henry VIII came after him, found him. He, he was given up by someone who was supposed to be his friend. And they, they put him on the stake. And uh, they choked him to death on the stake, and then they burned his dead body. So the, uh, the point, I think, that should be a motivation for us is that William Tyndale gave his life so that we could have the copy of the Scriptures. So that you're blank there. People died so that we could have the copy of the Scripture. He was willing to do anything that it took so that the, the common person could have a copy of the Bible in their own translation. And so that's what he did. He, in fact, he, he made several different copies of the, uh, the Bible in the English language, and uh, we are much indebted to him. 
Um, Luther says, before he died, he said this, Let the man who, who would hear God speak read the Scripture. You want to hear what God says? You want to know what God wants for your life? You want to know where God wants you to be? Then read the Scripture. That's what Luther's saying. You want to hear Him speak? Read the Scripture. That is, that is how God interacts with us. And then he wrote in 1533, Luther, um, Martin Luther said, For a number of years I have now annually read through the Bible twice. And if the Bible were a large, mighty tree and all its words were little branches, I have tapped all the branches, eager to know what was there and what it had to offer. Now these men gave the remainder of their lives to giving us a copy of the Scriptures so that the Scriptures could be given out to the common person. And so people died so that we could have a copy of the Scriptures. And then secondly, we have the privilege of reading the very words of God. We have the privilege of reading God's very words. And uh, so I think that should strike us as, as a reason for us to go to them and, uh, and recognize their value, that they are sweeter than any dessert that we could possibly have, sweeter than honey, and uh, they, they will be a great joy to us. Now, I think this one should, should uh, prick your heart most, and that is the scriptural motivation. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. You remember Jesus is constantly responding with Scripture to uh, refute what Satan was tempting him to do. In verse 4 he says, but, answer, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus was really living this too because he was showing that, listen, Food is important. Okay? Food is vital for, for our life source. But there's something more valuable than food, Jesus is saying. There's something more important than, than a, a healthy life, than, than having sustenance to continue. And that is God's Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's the parallel. If you don't eat physical food for a long period of time, what happens? You die. And if you don't eat spiritual food, you die. Now, that doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. It means you were never alive. You, you continue on in spiritual death. So the point is, is that we need to be taking in. That's the idea of Bible intake. Taking in spiritual food. Okay? Uh, we were reading, our family was reading the other night from Revelation chapter 10, and uh, John there is told to eat the scrolls. He literally eats the scrolls. He said it was as sweet as honey, but then it, it, it was, uh, gave him some sort of uh, sick feeling when it got to his stomach. The idea there was that uh, the, the Word of God is, is sweet when it comes in, but then for, for John, he had to use it to prophesy against people who are sinning against God, and so that was the... Uh, the sick feeling that he had. But, but we should be 
more we should have more desire to go after the word of god than even our food and that is something uh that that we we uh will find hard to do but is something that we will take joy in as we learn and find out more about who god is and what and what a great thing he's done for us dio moody said a man can no more take in the supply of grace for the future Okay, which he's saying you get from the word. A man can no more do that than he can eat enough for six months. Okay, just eat as much as you can, then now I don't have to eat for six months. Or take in sufficient amount of air into your lungs to, to sustain him for a whole week. We have to draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Isn't that a great quotation? He's saying, listen, you can't just suck in a bunch of air and then hope that it'll last for a whole week. You take a breath as you need it. You can't take up a bunch of food and store it in your cheeks like a chipmunk for six months. It doesn't work. The same thing is true about the Scriptures. We can't just pile in truth about God and and let it stick in there and then now we're set. We don't need it anymore. Thank you, God, for what you've given to me. I'm all set. I'll, I'll be good for a while. My point is, you can't go from Sunday to Sunday without reading the Word of God. It doesn't work spiritually. You, you are constantly in need of God's grace, aren't you, throughout, his, throughout the week? There are times when, when, when you are struggling, and it do, sometimes your struggles don't happen on Sunday. They happen on Monday, or Tuesday, or some other day, and you need to go and hear what God says to you. That takes discipline. It's interesting that throughout Jesus' life, the, the teachers of the law would be asking him questions, and he would constantly say what? Have you not read? The assumption is, you need to be reading the Scriptures. Listen, you want to know what, what God says? They're asking all these questions about, about uh, the law and all these. Jesus is like, th- think about it. Have you not read? Even when he was being tempted, what did he say? It is written. Jesus had read the scriptures for himself and and there's no substitute for reading it ourselves. Okay? Because we we could think, well, listen, I'll just listen to sermons on tape throughout the week or I'll I'll listen to the pastor when he spe-. that doesn't cut it. We need to learn the scriptures for ourselves. There's no substitute for it. For personally digging into it, to trying to understand it. And uh, a life that is void of personal reading of the scripture is a life that is 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 passive that is passive in nature and as we said before we cannot be passive so let me give you some practical things practical ways in which we can get started in this process or hopefully continue if you've already started it but if you're like me you you start these things and then there's times where you 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 uh get busy or there are other things that get that move into its place. And so what we need to do is we need to have some practical ways in which we can be constantly reading through the Word of God. Okay, here are three. First of all, find the time. Find the time. As sinful people, our heart's first inclination is to steer away from God, to turn away from God. And so it's easy for us to make excuses. You know, I'm too tired today. I've done too much work. I, I can't get up that early to read the Word. 
I've got these things to do. I have to be at work early or, you know, I'm hungry and I'll, I'll read when I get done eating. And so we put all these other things in the place or perhaps, you know, God won't mind if I go and, and witness instead of, of reading the word. You know, we put up these, these silly dichotomies, these things that shouldn't be opposing each other. We say, well, maybe God would rather me, have me do that. You know, the average American watches 35 hours of television per week. 35 hours. Do you realize that you could read through the Bible if you took that amount of time and put it towards reading the Scriptures? You could read it in two weeks. It takes 70 hours to read through the entire Bible. I've not tried it in one sitting. But that's what I, I do have the, the Bible on CD, and I know that is a fact. It takes 70 hours to read through it. Do you realize how much time we waste with entertainment? and other things that, that cloud up our day, and we say we don't have time to read the Word of God. All right, so if you have a family, you know, kids, grandkids, you, you know it's hard to find time to get alone with God. But, but we have to remember that, that even in Jesus' life, who, who had more of a busy schedule than Jesus? Do you remember from the time they, they saw Him in the morning, they, they just crowded Him and tried to get healed from him or their problems taken care of he had to get away didn't he and if he had time with all the people that were were um were working for his for vying for his time should we not as well take the time to get away so when should i read or what time of the day should i read now this is not a hard and fast rule there's no uh commandment in the scripture that tells you what time you need to do this but i would suggest to you that the best time to read is in the morning. Okay, Sometimes what we do is we, we read right before we go to bed, and that's the only time we read during the day. And may, that may not be the best case, because what happens is we find ourselves tired at that time, and so we fall asleep reading the Word, which is not, not a bad thing. It's not the worst thing you could possibly do, falling asleep to. But what happens is we get up the next morning, we forget a lot of what we read, we, we haven't meditated on it through the day. So I would suggest that the best time is during the morning, okay? When you still have the whole day out in front of you, when things are still uh, out there and haven't happened yet. You have time now to think through what you've learned, to soak it in and, and allow it to become a part of you. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end when we talk about meditation and then more in detail next week. All right, so what time of, that's, uh, what time of the day should I read? Now, how much time do I need? Now, the important thing is not... The, the specific amount of time. In order to cultivate a relationship with God, I hope you, you recognize that if once you get to a certain level of time, hey, you've arrived and God's, you, you and God have a great relationship. That's not the point. Okay, so it doesn't mean that you have to, to, to block out one whole hour or you know, three, four hours to, to meet with God. That's not the point. But I hope you also see that this is not a license for us to just spend five minutes with God and say, all right, God, this is your time, we're all set, now I'm going on the rest of my day. Because um, it is important that we spend, and even a little time with God is better than nothing. Okay, um, And it, the one thing that I, I think we need to focus on when we are reading is not to just be able to check off a list, 
We need to be able to come away with it having learned something, having understood it. Because simple academic reading through the, the chapter, like we used to do when we were in school, just to say we've done it, is not the point of reading the Word, okay? It's not so that at the end of the year you can say, I've read through the Bible. Or after two years, I've read through the entire Bible. That is not the point. The point is is that we're, we're being sanctified by it. Okay? It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Something that we need to be working on. So the point is not the amount of time, but, but rather it is um, that we are spending time in God's Word, meaningful time, not just breezing through a whole chapter or whatever. It would almost be better if we just took one verse or one phrase and, and meditated on that than, than going through an entire book in one sitting. Okay? Obviously, there's benefits to doing both, but we, we, we'll talk about that when we get to the next part. But, but the point is, is we need to have some sort of quiet time. Some time away from the noise, the kids, the whatever distracts us where we're listening to God. All right, so when or what should I read? What should I read? It's important to, number two, make a plan. Okay, find the time and then make a plan. It's amazing how much we have to plan things out in our day, isn't it? Or, or in our future. A lot of times when we don't plan something, it doesn't happen. So the, the same thing is true with, with the Scriptures. We need to make a plan. If you sit down to God's Word every day and you haven't thought what you're going to do when you get there, then you'll probably be consistently frustrated and, and uh, perhaps a little bit weary and, and confused as to what everything's, what, what's going on in the Scriptures. A lot of times we do this hunt and peck type method. Oh, it's time, it's time to do this. All right, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will... I'm not even going on a trip through the waters. What is this talking about? You know, that's actually a good verse. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Um, but the point is, we need to plan out a certain amount of time, plan out a place where we're going to go, and, uh, and then once we're there, we need to have a plan of what we're going to read. Okay, I'm going to help you by giving you next week um, a, a, a reading schedule that I think has been helpful for me personally. And this is a reading schedule where you can read through the entire New Testament in one year and half of the Old Testament. Okay, So that in the second year, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible once and the New Testament twice. And it, all it takes is a couple chapters a day. In fact, it's only about 10 or 15 minutes of reading. And if you read with a pencil, read with, a, with active thoughts, thinking as you're doing it, it will be a great benefit to you. Plus, you'll be able to see the whole Scripture um, in a different light, in a different way than you've seen it before. All right, the last thing is meditate on what you read. It doesn't help for us to just simply browse through it. We have to meditate on it. And because this is not my point of, of this class today, we're not going to spend... Uh, too much time on it. You can come back next week and, and get the rest of this more more detail. But in order to know God more, we have to be able to think about what we're reading. Okay, um, we do this when we read the paper. We do this when we read letters letters from people we care about. We should certainly do it when we're reading God's word to us. All right, let's um, 
Well, let me ask if there are any questions, and then we'll close. All right. If you think of anything, you can come and ask or um, shoot me an email or give me a call or something. Uh, hopefully this has been helpful. I, I know it's been helpful for me. Let's bow together for prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we are constantly saying that we know you and that we love you, and yet um, Jesus said that if we love you, then we should keep your commandments. And if we're going to keep your commandments, we need to be in your word. And if we know you, we, we need to know about you. We need to know what you've done in the past, what you're like, what, what you dislike, what you demand of us. And so we pray that we would not pass that responsibility on to someone else, but that we would take that responsibility on for ourselves so that when we are hearing the Word of God, that we would be active in listening and that when we are reading it, we would shut out the distractions from around us so that we can listen to you carefully and learn from it. And Lord, I pray that we would not be people who are looking to, to get through different passages or books or even whole testaments in order to say that we've done it because certainly that doesn't accomplish anything eternally but that we would do it so that we can understand you more you are God and you are worthy uh, to be heard on every level and we pray that we, we would give ourselves to this discipline and we pray now that you'd be with the service to follow that you would be pleased in the way that we worship you and that we would be changed uh, to be more like Jesus Christ because of having met with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.